Welcome to the Revolution Sports Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Wood. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday morning. We're back. We took Monday off, had some stuff we had to take care of as we are getting ready to switch over to a new new formatting process with our podcast. And let me break that down real quick just before we go any further. Uh, for right now, as everybody knows, if you tune into our podcast regularly, if you don't, this would be a good time to, to jump in along with us as we get ready to do something new. Um, we've had just one straightforward podcast where it's been nothing but just sports and politics pushed together. One episode usually runs about 40, 45 minutes, and then that's it, and we do three episodes a week. You know, We have Monday, Thursday, Saturdays, usually our college football preview and prediction show. That'll stay the same. But for Monday and Thursday, what we're going to do from now on, we're going to have just two separate episodes to give us a little bit more time to talk about both sides, uh, sports and then politics. But also, like I said, if you've listened to me from the very beginning, what I like to do is I like to keep both sides separate so people can just enjoy which part they want to enjoy. You can either go listen to sports or you can go listen to politics. And so we've kept it separate within the podcast, but now we want to be able to separate it even more, give people more control over what you want to listen to. That way you don't have to go searching for it because... Sometimes, you know, or most of the time, our podcast pushes politics to the backside the last half of the podcast, so you have to skip through, and I know a lot of people don't like to do that, so what we're going to do is make it easier on you, and just, like I said, also gives us more time to be able to break down some stuff a little bit a little bit better and a little bit longer, of, you know, give us some more time in that aspect, that'll give us two full episodes to just talk about each one individually, so this is not starting today. I was hoping to do it today, but schedule has been very, very hectic here lately. So with that said, though, the goal is now Monday. So just look for two episodes on Monday. If it's not Monday, we will update you. But more than likely, it will be Monday. So just look for that. It'll be two episodes. They'll be on the same. The, you'll find it the same way you do now. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you're on Google Podcasts, anything like that. If you go directly from our, you know, our website or directly from our social media pages, you can still click there. You'll see the episodes. They'll still line up. They'll be still under Revolution Sports, the podcast uh, link and all that. So just look for it there. Nothing really changes. Just two separate episodes. You can select which one you want to listen to. Listen to it and just make sure you keep, you know, you subscribe to us. Keep sharing it for us. Help us continue to grow as uh, as we continue to push forward, try new things, and hopefully bring better content and better. Uh, I guess just a better experience for you, the listener, as we continue to grow. But with that said, though, moving along, it's now Thursday, and just a lot has happened in between uh, the last time we talked on last Thursday, really, because Saturday was preview and predictions uh, episode for college football. So now here it is the following Thursday. A lot has gone on, but we're going to hit some of the highlights. Going to have just a regular episode for you today. Uh, with that said, though, like I talked about last week, the goal is today and is going to happen is we're going to give you our NBA predictions for the year, what we think is going to happen, and then we've got some news along that front as the NBA season has just tipped off just two nights ago. Tuesday night had two big matchups. You had the Bucks and the Nets, and then you had the Lakers and the Warriors, two big matchups there. Had some matchups last night. Had some decent ones there, but the NBA season at this point is in full gear. It is kicked off, I mean, uh, tipped off, and they're rolling there. So this season ought to be interesting. Got a lot of new faces in different places. So that's definitely what we're excited about. And like I said, we'll have a little bit on some of the games that have happened. But first, want to kick it off? Just go ahead and give you my predictions for the year. As I promised, this should finish out just our whole preview for the year. But like I said, the season has officially started. So at this point, going to talk about who we think is going to win the MVP real quick. So this year. 
I thought, or last year, excuse me, it was real close, I thought, to this possibly happening last year, but it, it just didn't work out the way it did. Had some, just some last second stuff that happened. We saw uh, Nikola Jokic slip in and be able to win the MVP. So for this year, it's a little bit different. I think, and the reason why I'll break it down for you real quick, I think it's going to be Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. And the reason why is right now, we saw them play the Lakers the other night. We'll get them, get it just a little bit into that game, not too much. Saw him play the other night, and you look at who their roster is. They got a bunch of, to me, a bunch of no names. You still got Draymond, and you got Clay, who's getting ready to come back from injury roughly in December or January. So for right now, someone's really got to take control and be able to push the Warriors to heights that they, I guess you'd say, wouldn't normally reach with this type of roster. And obviously when you have a guy like Steph Curry, that's fully possible. And I think he realizes he has to be able to elevate this team to a point for when Clay Thompson comes back so that way they can be able to go on a run and be able to compete later on at you know when it's playoff time. So for me I definitely see Steph Curry really accepting that challenge. I think you'll be able to see him average, you know, low 30s that type of uh have that type of scoring output which were, which is not irregular for him. He's done it before. He's won two MVPs before, but I think you can probably see a third one right here with him just be able to lift his team to new heights, be able to keep them in the race for everything that they want to be a part of. So I think that's who you'll see win MVP this year. And, I, I mean, first game, he didn't look all that great shooting-wise, but that's what I'm saying. He, as an MVP, you're able to do other stuff to be able to contribute to your team, and he was able to get a triple-double in that game. So that's exactly what you want to see from that type of player, and I think that's what you'll continue to see. If his shot's not there, you'll be able to see him continue to do other things to help his team. So for that, I got Steph Curry as the MVP. Uh, from there, rookie of the year, Cade Cunningham. If you saw him play in college, you know that he was a great player. He's going to fit in well in Detroit. Obviously, with it being in, Destro- in De- with him being in Detroit, he should have plenty of opportunities to really shine there, be able to grow, and have plenty of time to grow because it's not like they're contending anytime soon unless they make some huge moves. But So that's a good spot for him. I think just him with the type of talent that he has with the free reign, I think he'll have there. I think you should be able to see him put up some decent numbers. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him average 20 a game even as a rookie. So I fully expect him to win the rookie of the year. So it should be a good year for him and maybe some, hopefully some improvement for Detroit there. But moving on from there, the defensive player of the year, I got Anthony Davis for this, and the reason being is I felt like he has been very disrespected over the last couple of years and when it comes to his defense because you got all these other guys, all these other big men like Rudy Gobert who have won Defensive Player of the Year, and you see when they get into playoff situations and they, ha- they get switched off onto some of these guards, you see these guards take advantage of Rudy Gobert and be able to just, I mean, go right by and be able to score, put pressure in the paint, and it allows the kick out as well. It makes it tough on, tough on their defense to be able to defend that. So he's become more of a liability, I would say, when it comes to playoff time. So while he wins the Defensive Player of the Year for he's won it in the regular season, I just don't think he's been a defensive player as a whole, like a defensive player of the year for the whole time, playoffs included. And I think some people have seen that, seen him get exposed. So I just don't think people will really be willing to vote for him and – to me, I think that you see that you see that type of stuff happening. So what do you do? You look for the player that does it all. And for me, it's Anthony Davis at seven foot. He can play like a guard. He can defend guards. He can defend the five. He can defend the four. He can defend one through five, no doubt. He's long. I mean, he's able to block shots. He averages two blocks a game. He's got everything you want in a defensive player. And I think this is finally the year where he really takes control of that Lakers team and shows that he's one of the top players in the league. 
and he could possibly even compete for MVP this year as a as a candidate. I would not be surprised to see him in the top five there, as he really looks to step up as you know some of those players get into their their older years of their playing career. So, with that said, Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year for Most Improved Player. I'm going with Zion Williamson. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to look at this and they're going to be like, "Why is Zion? That doesn't make any sense. He's played well. He's played well, but he has played nothing up to the level that he was talked about and hyped up to be coming out of college at Duke." Because he was, I mean, they were prophesying him as the next LeBron James, going to be potentially the best player of all time. They hyped up the first matchup between LeBron and Zion. And like I said, he's been decent, but he hasn't been that caliber of a player that we thought he was going to be. And I still think he can be good, like really good. I think he can be one of the better players in NBA history. But the thing is that he's not at that level, but I expect to finally see a jump big enough to be able to put him in that all-star category. And if that happens, it's good news for New Orleans there, but it's also good news for him as well. So I think you can possibly see him take that. But other than that, six man, this is the last thing up for predictions for this year. Six man, I got Derrick Rose. And I know a lot of people are probably going to look at that one and say, oh, he's in the you know latter years of his career. He hasn't been the same since his knee injury. If you haven't actually watched him in New York and what he did in the playoffs last year, then you really don't understand the impact that he's having there. Since Tom Thibodeau took over New York, you've been really you've been able to see Derrick Rose really take more of a leadership position, and he just does everything that's asked for him. If they ask him to start one night, he starts, but for most of the time he comes off the bench. That's why I got him as a six man, and he can score twenty. I mean, whenever he needs to, when he gets the minutes, when he's going, he can get you plenty of points. But he just does everything else well. He moves the ball. He puts pressure on the defense with his fast pace. He's able to rebound and get out, and actually just be able to push tempo. And with that young team in New York, that's really beneficial there. So for him, I think you could be able to see him have a really good season. And I think if he wins this six, man, it's going to look real good later on, especially for, you know, the Hall of Fame and all that type of stuff because he'll have an NBA MVP under his belt and a six-man of the year. So that'll be real interesting to see if that happens. But I think he's got a really good shot this year. But with that said, other than that, that's awards. So for last prediction, I'm just going to go ahead and give you who I think is going to win the NBA championship this year. A lot of people are not going to agree with me. That's fine, and I can understand why you wouldn't think so. But for me, I got the Lakers winning this year, and I know a lot of people are not going to like that pick. Whatever. I'll explain why, and I think the matchup in the finals is going to be the Lakers and the Bucks. And I know a lot of people pick the Nets to win this year. I think without Kyrie Irving, they're going to not struggle because obviously they still got James Harden and Kevin Durant there. I just don't think they have the firepower without Kyrie to be able to beat the Nets. And... So I expect the Nets to be able to win that series, playing the finals versus the Lakers. So I really think that Kyrie not being there this year due to the vaccination status and all that junk, I think you'll really see them just come up short. So for Milwaukee, I think you'll see them in the finals. And for the Lakers, I know a lot of people are wondering how that team is going to gel with new faces like Russell, Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony and just all these type of guys, if they're going to be able to gel together. And that's the question. I mean, that's going to be a question that's going to have to be solved throughout the season. But if you know anything about LeBron James, he's been done a great job of being able to gel with new play, uh, new players and just new people that come in that have different playing styles. So he's been able just to really fit himself along uh, along them. So I think you'll be able to see something very similar here. The question is, though, it seems like a lot of people are saying that this is Anthony Davis's team this year to do, you know, whatever he needs to to be able to help them win a championship. 
I think it's going to be up to Anthony Davis to be able to do that and show that. And also, Westbrook's got to buy in and shape his game to that as well. So, I think you'll see it. I think Westbrook will learn a lot from being from playing with LeBron, which will help benefit his career. I think they'll figure it out at some point. It may not be earlier on. It may not be 20 games in the season. It may not be 30 games into the season. But I think by the midpoint of the year, I think you'll really see them start putting it together and you'll really see them be able to start getting some really good just minutes together and get gearing up for a playoff run. And just in the West, I'm not seeing too many teams that have that firepower that they have once they figure it out and the, just the, the length. And even at a young age, I mean, even just in their first game we saw just two nights ago, they like to get up and down the floor. So for them, that's that's good from an older you know from an older team's perspective but also the IQ they have is definitely going to help them later in the year know when to rest when to take care of their body that type of stuff so i think they got a real good shot this year and i sure i think if you know i'm wrong whatever this is this isn't like we're predicting the game of the you know in college football from that week this is something we're trying to pick 82 games of regular season basketball and then you have to win 16 in the postseason so I mean, you're looking at 98 games you're trying to predict away, so just a lot can happen, but that's who I'm just going with our early season pick. So with that said, though, going to talk to you real quick about this game that happened last night, or two nights ago, excuse me, between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And for me, this really showed exactly why, like I said, I feel like Milwaukee's going to be able to win the East again. And it just boils down to Giannis being or continuing to improve his game. They got the right supporting cast there as well that fits perfectly around them. They're able to shoot the outside ball. They got a second player who can give you 20 a game in Chris Middleton. They got what you want there in Milwaukee. Now for Brooklyn, like I said, the biggest thing for me that they're missing, and I think what they're really going to miss later on is not having Kyrie there. You have to be able to have a point guard, and while they got a decent backup point guard, you're not going to be able to replace 20-25 points a game, 6-7 assists. You're not going to be able to replace that. And so for them, I think they're going to really miss that, and I think that's going to be the exact reason why they they end up falling short. And I think that was kind of evident in this game. You saw them lose by 23. It was 127 to 104, Milwaukee won, and... And that you just were able to see Giannis have his way, because I just don't think there's anyone even on that Brooklyn team that can defend him. And just the supporting cast, you know, rallied around him, was able to do their part. And Kevin Durant, I mean, he still even scored 32 in this game. Harden had a decent game. But you're just lacking, like I said, that 20, 25 points there that could have made up that different, you know, that difference, and they don't have it there, so... I mean, you lost DeAndre Jordan to the Lakers after you let him go. I mean, you got Blake Griffin there, but it's not like Blake Griffin's resurrecting his career there. I mean, he's played a little bit better, but he's nothing more than a glorified role player at this point. So, for them, it's just going to be interesting to see if what happens there, because like I said, I don't think they have a true big there either. So, I'm interested to see how they continue to progress throughout the season, if they can figure it out, because they're definitely going to play a small ball, I think more fast-paced than what they are later on down the road but just looking at this game it was interesting to see how much even during the offseason that Giannis progressed his game he was just making faster decisions he was being you know more I'd say intuitive about picking his spots what in reacting quicker to certain uh certain I guess you say movements by the defense he was able to read stuff a little bit better so it was really neat to see him improve the way he did going coming off a championship, he seems hungry for more, and that's the exact type of mindset you have to have as one of the greats. He's already got two MVPs. He's got a championship now. All it is is just about chasing that you know that 
Hall of Fame status, that greatness status that he wants uh, so much. And so if you see him hungry and still going after it, I mean, guy has 30-plus points, double-digit rebounds in this game. I mean, he looked the part just like he has for the last couple of years, and he just continues to get better. So that's a good recipe if you're Milwaukee there. But other game real quick, like I said, not going to get too much into this one. You had the Lakers and, and Golden State. Lakers played up most of the game, and then the Warriors took over in the fourth quarter and just never really looked back at that point, was able to pull out the win behind Steph Curry's triple-double. That's what I was talking about with him. Just think he'll be able to do just enough to be able to push them over the top, get them to where they want to go. Just you know, as long as Clay Thompson's out, and then when Clay gets there, him and Curry can really do their backcourt stuff that you know they do, and really push the team to new heights and be able to potentially have a playoff run in them maybe later in the year. But on the other side, like I said, talking about the Lakers, I just don't think you're gonna you're not gonna see it this early. You're trying to put all those new players together. And you could see it. Westbrook struggled. He was very passive. He wasn't aggressive like he needed to be in some situations. And it really became the LeBron and Anthony Davis show. And I think the biggest surprise, though, from this game, from watching the Lakers, was how good LeBron was. And I know that sounds crazy because, obviously, we know LeBron's one of the top players in NBA history. And it was just, I wasn't expecting to see the type of dominant performance that he had come out shooting hot he played a lot more in the post like I thought he was going to, and he did a really good job of that. It seems like that mid-range shot, especially back to the basket, has improved a lot, which is good news for him because that is something that can help him extend his career even further. You saw players like Kobe do that. You saw players like Michael Jordan do that. If he can continue to add that and continue to grow that part of his game, he's going to be able to prolong his career for a lot longer than what a lot of, a lot of people are saying. LeBron had 34-11 and 11 in this game, so, I mean, it just was very impressive to see him at 36, looking at 37 here in December, continue to find ways to impact the game and continue to look like one of the better players in the league. So he doesn't jump as high. He's not as quick as he used to be, used to be but he continues to find ways to show that he is, like I said, probably top, if not the top player anymore, top two in the league. So that's good if you're the Lakers. But like I said, they just weren't going to be able to figure it out in just one game. you got to give them time. So I'm thinking about midpoint of the season, you'll really see them start to gel, be able to have a run in them, and I think they'll be just fine. But with that said, moving on from there, got one more story, though, we're going to talk about in the NBA. Just a lot of drama that has surrounded this situation since, I would say, I mean, a couple months after the after last season and or just right after even their playoff series. When the 76ers lost to the Hawks last year, we instantly knew there was going to be drama with Ben Simmons and what was going on there. You could just tell he's not happy there. The fans really turned on him. And I know a lot of people want to say, oh, man, that's just, you know, they wanted to complain about the fans in Philly and people just turning on him there. But at the same time, though, you have to understand their displeasure with the situation because you have Ben Simmons there, and he's been there. I mean, he was the number one pick in the draft. That was already a couple years back. It's not like he's this is his first or second year there. He's been there for a good while now. And his game really hasn't changed all that much. I mean, he was supposed to be a point four, but you can't really be a point player if you can't be able to shoot the ball from the outside because if you're controlling the ball, bringing it up, all they're doing is they're dropping a guy off him from when he's at the top of the three-point line. They're dropping him to about midway in the paint because they know he can't shoot a mid-range. They know he can't shoot a three. So players are unhappy because you can see that that's not the type of player that's going to help you win a championship. And in Philly, you got the type of players there other than Ben Simmons to, ben Simmons to win a championship, so you just got to be able to find that piece that can really fit in there. And he's obviously not it, and he, I think he realizes that at this point, and he wants out, 
but the way he has handled this situation himself has been terrible. I, I mean, I, was, I gave him a little bit, little bit of a pass earlier on, but just seeing how he has been, I mean, up to this point, and now you're seeing it where Doc Rivers, the head coach of the 76ers, has kicked him out of practice, and they had to suspend him from game one for conduct that was detrimental to the team, and you just don't see that. I mean, I don't care what is going on. If you want out, if you want to play on a different team, I don't care what it is. You're a professional. You are paid to play, and then you go and act like some of these high school kids that are out there. I coached in high school basketball for the last couple of years, last three, four years. That's how high school kids act. They come into practice when they don't get their starting spot. They don't, you know, play well the last game, or they don't get what they want, and they come into practice and they pout. We're talking about a 20-year-old-plus player who is supposed to be one of the better players, you know, in his draft class, one of the better players. I'd say that he was supposed to be one of the better players in the league. Come in and act like he's one of these high school players just because he didn't get his way. And you're still getting paid millions of dollars. I mean, that doesn't make sense. You're getting paid millions of dollars. And you can't even come in and do your job. So for me, like I said, all credibility that I thought his situation had has went out the window. It's really hurt him because I don't think any team really wants to trade for him that much. So, I mean, the only option he has is either play or don't get paid. And then at that point, even when you do get out of your contract there, I mean, no one's going to pay you full price because they they don't trust you to be a team player. I mean, and it just goes back to his unwillingness to continue to grow his game. We've heard reports multiple times now of how he doesn't surround himself with people that are going to push him but people that continue to baby him and tell him that he's right and that he's doing you know he doesn't need to worry about what people are saying about him you don't worry about what people are saying about you but when the obvious hits you in the face like the fact that you don't have a jump shot and continue have not continued to improve in your career that should tell you something's wrong but he doesn't see that he's being babied and now he looks like a baby when he comes into practice and he can't even do his job. So they threw him out, and he's suspended for one game. It's going to be interesting to see from here on out how he acts for, you know, from, from just this point on. Because I don't even know when he comes back. He, I, don't, I don't think he starts, and I don't think he's even a big part of the lineup. I think you could definitely just see him riding the bench at this point. Because if I'm Dalton Rivers, I don't care how decent the guy is. If he's one of the better players on the team, with that type of attitude and that type of mentality, he doesn't step foot on the court or he doesn't step foot in the lineup for that team that's just me but that's going to be interesting to see when he comes back from this suspension and we should see that relatively soon but moving on from there at that point that's it for sports moving over to politics and just had some different stuff that's been going on with this uh this news story this broke yesterday it shocked a lot of people shocked myself included well i say shocked I was shocked by the timing of it. I wasn't shocked by the fact of, like, the nature of the fact of what it was. But we see that Joe Manchin is apparently talking behind the scenes. We're not, you know, he's obviously denied it at this point because he's not going to say this out loud. But has said that he is potentially thinking about leaving the Democratic Party due to Biden's spending plan where Biden and the progressive Democrats are pushing for a $3.5 trillion, uh, what they're calling human infrastructure, which is basically just a budget reconciliation bill where they're going to pass a bunch of socialist, I guess their, their whole socialist agenda that they want to pass. And Manchin has said that his price tag is $1.5 trillion. He won't go any higher. And at that point, he said... From what we're hearing from this report, that if they don't give in to his his demands of 1.5 trillion, 
he is willing to send a letter to Chuck Schumer, the leader of the the Senate Majority Leader there for the Democrats, and say that if he they don't don't do what he wants, that he'll move over to an independent instead of a Democrat. And so at that point, you're looking at the possibility. Now you have you have a tied Senate; it's fifty to fifty right now. Because even though there is another independent who is ten, you know Bernie Sanders, we know he's a full blown Democrat. He caucuses with the Democratic Party. He's really a socialist, but um, he is a Democrat though. And now you have Joe Manchin who is talking about doing the same thing. Now the question is though, is he going to caucus with the Democrats or is he going to caucus with the Republicans? And why this is a big deal is because if he decides to caucus with the Republicans, the Republicans take over the majority in the Senate. And that effectively renders every bit of Biden's agenda dead. And the thing is though, the only problem is with this though, is that even if Manchin does decide to caucus with Republicans... Uh, he's still going to reach across both sides of the aisle because that's just the type of person he is. So it really doesn't change much. I mean, I could definitely even see him still voting with Democrats on some stuff. I just think this is really just to prove a point, if he does this, that he is just, they're not listening to him, they're not willing to negotiate, and that he's not willing to back down from his stance because they've already overspent so much that we're seeing inflation and different factors that are playing in because of it. So for this, I am looking to see when it happens, if it does happen. I, like I said, my whole surprise came by just the when it is now. I figured we would have either seen it sooner or seen it really when I'd say midterms, well, not, not midterms, uh, the next, the 2022 election cycle really kicks off because I know that's coming up here soon. And I know that that's when he's going to really get involved when it comes to other people's campaigns. So I'm interested to see, if he really switches over, because that could help him in his campaign later on when he has to run again. So, because right now he's in West Virginia. West Virginia is one of the reddest states there are in the country. So, and somehow he slipped in there as a blue senator, still being able to keep his seat, which has surprised a lot of people. Because I mean, Donald Trump's winning for West Virginia by like almost thirty points. So, I mean, that, and somehow a Democrat keeps slipping in there. So I, I don't understand how that happens. He barely won it this time. I don't think he has a chance of winning it again, even if he does decide to switch. I think people can see through it. And I'm not saying that's a he's a bad guy. Manchin is one of the more honorable people there because he's willing to stand up to the to the Democrats, the people that think they just run this country based off of whatever they want. And he stood up to him and really stopped a lot of Biden's socialist agenda that he really wants to put in. And so that's been great. But the fact of the matter is, even though he is a decent man, and I know he wants to reach across both sides of the aisle and help out both sides and kind of bring them together at the same time, though, it's not like we're dealing with like a the former part of the Democratic Party. We're dealing with a full-blown communist socialist party. Let's just get that straight. They want to radically transform America into a socialist communist country. And take away your freedoms, take away your rights, and do all that. So this isn't about reaching across the aisle at this point anymore and bringing everybody together and say, let's find common ground. There is no common ground when it comes to this. You have one side that is completely for freedom. You have one side that is completely for taking your rights. And we've seen how they've done that over the last couple of years with COVID. So you have two sides. It's not about bridging that gap at this point. So that's what I'm saying. He still wants to pretend that we can bridge that gap. You cannot bridge that gap no, and no longer. It is completely up to putting people in office that are going to be able to fight that communist socialist agenda back and be able to put people in office that are going to continue to advance America into a better position if that take into account your rights and just I mean just every part of the conservative movement because that's what we need we don't need any more of this overreaching I mean taking away your rights 
Democrat nonsense because obviously it does not work. We've seen it does not work. We continue to see how their policies fail time and time again, and that's where we're at right now in this country. And it doesn't seem like there's there's really any any stop to it really at this point. But that's what it's going to take. It's going to take us pulling out people that keep you know getting in there and continue to help. I guess you'd say condone what these guys are doing. The Democrats, like Manchin does, because he doesn't really fully put a stop to everything, and get people in there that are going to stand up, push back, and get us right back on the track we need to be. Because right now we are going in complete the complete opposite direction of where we need to be going. But, anyways, other news story that was definitely the biggest one that had broke yesterday. This is another one that broke yesterday. We've been keeping up. Well, we really hadn't talked about it here on the podcast. I've been keeping up with it myself. I just want to talk about it as I got closer. But this is. Pretty much close enough at this point, and we're seeing some real traction pick up here. But we're seeing this Virginia governor's race. That is a it's an odd year election. You have the Virginia governor race right here between McAuliffe and Yunkin. Yunkin is the Republican. McAuliffe is the Democrat, who is actually the former uh, governor of West or of Virginia. Excuse me, and has done this before, but obviously has continued to move left with the rest of the Democratic Party as they've gone from, you know, more middle of the road to, like I said, communist socialist levels. So with that said, though, you see them in a battle. And here's the thing. The interesting part about it is Virginia has been known for the last couple of election cycles as a blue state. I still think they're kind of, they probably are still a blue state. But I think at this point, what you're seeing right now is you're continuing to see people all around this country that are fed up with the agenda that continues to be shoved down our throat. People are tired of continuing to pay high gas prices. People are tired of having their rights taken away. And people are seeing that all across the country. So right now, a blue state that Biden won by 10 points in the 2020 election cycle, we are now seeing where a Republican candidate for governor there has now in the polls tied McAuliffe in this this race is dead even at 46 percent and this is just a poll that was taken from monmouth university and that was on the october the 16th and the 19th so not that long ago uh, just a couple of days ago and f- tied at 46 percent apiece and so we're basically deadlocked right here and the reason why this is so important this is the biggest race that will happen this year like i said it's an odd year but it's so important because the republicans have a chance to show that they mean business about 2022 and show that they are the party of freedom. They are the party of common sense. They are the party that will get us back on track. And this is a good way to deal a major blow to the Democrats' agenda right here. And I know that doesn't really stop much from happening when it comes down to what they want to do at Capitol Hill, what they want to continue to push But it shows them that if you don't really stop what you're doing and move in a different direction, you're going to get completely destroyed when it comes to the 2022 elections. And the thing is, I don't think they can stop that at this point. So I don't even know if that really changes what they do on Capitol Hill in Washington anymore at this point, even if they do lose this race, because I think they realize that they're going to get blown out either way. So they're just trying to ram through whatever they possibly can right now. And... So with that said, this like I said, this isn't even a race that's even supposed to be close. But here you find them tied at forty six percent, where Biden won fifty four to forty four in Virginia. Just I mean, just just a year ago, now it's dead even, and I can tell you why it's dead even. And it boils down to, like I said, the policies that the Democrats continue to put in. But it boils down to one specific issue 
here in Virginia. And it boils down to a situation that has taken place here at Loudoun County, Virginia, where students at a school were sexually assaulted in the bathrooms where they allow transgender students to go into the bathroom of the sex that they identify with. So, I mean, if a boy identifies as a girl and he's allowed to go into the women's restaurant or the girl's bathroom, and that's a situation that has happened. We've had it happen twice at this school in Loudoun County, and they have continually covered it up. A school covered up sexual assault, and they're backed by Democrats. McAuliffe says there's not a pro- McAuliffe says there's not a problem here. Continues to not want to take questions on this type of stuff. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention this. I really forget to mention this, but he also tells you that if you're a parent of these students, you should have no say in what goes on at the pub- at the public schools. And just a debate just a couple of weeks ago between Yunkin and McAuliffe, he says he literally came out and said, and he said it multiple times since then. He said that the parents have no rights to tell the teachers what should be going on at the school, have no rights to tell the school board what is going on at the school, that the parents should have no rights when it comes at all to their parents, the parents' education, I mean the kids' education. The parents should have no rights to that whatsoever. It's up to the school. The school does it. Basically, the federal government will tell you what your kids should know, and you just have to deal with it. That's what he said pretty much by what he's saying. You have no rights to your kids' education. And so from there, he's continued to repeat that multiple times. There's videos out there of him saying this multiple times. So now what does Yunkin do? Yunkin goes out here and he puts out ads, campaign ads, where he shows this video and shows that he doesn't care about your rights as a parent and care about your kid's you know, education or what goes on at these schools. And so here's McAuliffe now. He's feeling the heat. So he has to come out and say, oh, he's taking my words. He's taking my words out of context. That's not what's happening here at all. We know exactly what you meant, but now you're in a, between a rock and a hard place because you feel the pressure now. You feel the polls closing in. You got see Yunkin has all the momentum here. You see the independents switching over from Democrat to Republican here because they hear you saying and spouting off this absolute craziness, and now he's found, found himself trapped here, and he has nothing else to do but say, you're taking my words out of context. When you're in the last couple of weeks, we're about less than two weeks now out from this election, and you're saying my words are being taken out of context, and that's the ad you're running, you're in real trouble when it comes down to it. And so the thing is, I mean, this this is ultimately, ultimately what it boils down to. He's saying that they're not teaching critical race theory in their schools. We have proof. Everyone has proof if you want it. Go look at it. They are teaching critical race theories in the schools at Virginia. McAuliffe keeps saying that they're not teaching critical race theory. But he says you should have no rights to be able to say that you don't want your kids to be to to learn that type of stuff. And it just goes right along with what the Democratic Party has said this whole time. We just saw the other other day where the Department of Justice identifies parents that are protesting at these school boards. They're being called domestic terrorists here at home and they're labeling them as such. And at that point, you get arrested for something like that. You get the full the full penalty of a domestic terrorist. I mean, it's just absolute insanity. And it, the whole point of it is, is they know if they can get to your kids young and be able to put this nonsense in their head, be able to ingrain in them what they want, 
they'll have no problem later on because they'll just basically have your kids brainwashed where they'll continue to vote Democrat no matter what's going on around it. And they've succeeded in a lot of that. We've seen that with some of the people that are coming up now, some of these kids that are going from 17 to 18 that are being able to vote, coming out of high school, getting into and getting into jobs and getting into areas. Now we're seeing them the wokeness from these kids and from these people really take over a lot of these either institutions or just a lot of these areas. And we're seeing why these People that have no common sense, like Joe Biden, like the Democrat Party, continue to stay in office. And it's because of this. They get them young, and they play the long game. That's what they do. And they're completely fine with doing this, but they are going to make sure you can't stop them from it. So they label you as a domestic terrorist. They say you have no right to be a part of your kid's education. You cannot allow this to stand, and I don't think it's going to, because right now you're seeing that pushback happen here in Virginia, and this is a perfect opportunity for the Republican Party, for the conservative movement in America to be able to push back against this and say that we're not standing for it anymore, we're going to push back and we're going to come hard and be able to and be able to really put you on your heels and say we're taking back America. That's what this is all about right here, and we have to continue to spread this message all across America, continue to stand up against this culture that is being put in place by the Democratic Party. So it starts in Virginia this year, and if we can, if the Republicans can take this governor's seat right here in Virginia, we have a shot of putting in some real good voting legislation there in Virginia. We have a good shot of being able to make Virginia a red state if we continue to put good policies in place there. And it'll also bode well for Republicans all over the whole entire country when it comes to the 2022 midterms. And if that happens, a Biden's agenda Biden's agenda is effectively dead, and we can move on from there and be able to hopefully win in 2024. And if we can stop Biden in 2022, I think I would feel real good about our chances in 2024. So there's a lot of momentum here. If we got, we just got to continue to point out their issues and show where they're wrong. And continue to put them up there in the front of everyone so everyone can can see it. And a lot of people are seeing it with their actions because you're feeling the effects of it now where it comes from inflation or gas prices, that type of stuff. It's in their face. But we got to continue to show and continue to put it out there that these policies don't work, but there is something better out there for them. But with that said, though, that is today's show. Like I said, Monday we will have a different setup for you, so be looking for that. With that said, though, we will have our college football playoff and predictions or excuse me, preview and predictions article out on our website at therevolutionsports.com. And on Saturday, just like normal, at 8 o'clock in the morning, we'll have our preview and predictions podcast episode. So be looking for that. Got some good games coming up this weekend. And it's finally about to get to that action that's going down in the Big Ten here very, very soon because we've got a lot of teams up there that are uh, just in the top ten that got a shot. But you know, they just got to play each other, and we'll see how that goes from there. But with that said, though, be looking for that, and I hope everyone has a good day, and we'll see you in the next one.